0: Good morning. I am so excited to be able to speak with you this morning in chapel. I'm excited that I was given the privilege of following Coach Golden. I um, was able to listen to him last week, and I hope that if you were unable to uh, be in chapel and hear him, that you will go back and you will listen to his preaching because he brought us he brought us uh, here on this campus a word. It was not an easy word, but it was a good word for us. And I also appreciated that Coach shared parts of his own story with us last week. You know, I often think that sharing our stories together, uh, telling what a part of our experience helps each of us uh, see in each other our full humanity. Archbishop Desmond Tutu, uh, who helped fight and uh, uh, break down the system of apartheid in South Africa, once said, my humanity is bound up in yours, for we can only be human together. Being able to see each other uh, as fellow humans, it's a start. It's a start in understanding each other. And as the Archbishop was pointing out, when we degrade, other humans, when we dehumanize someone, we aren't just stripping them of their humanity, but we're actually failing to see ourselves as fully human. We're pulling ourselves down as well. Now, many of you uh, who have grown up here in America, you have grown up attending uh, school during February, what during Black History Month, and you are used to hearing biographies and stories of amazing African Americans during uh, during this month. So you could probably rattle off stories about people like Sojourner Truth or George Washington Carver, whom I'm sure you all know has a Kansas connection here. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., I could go down the list and you probably are used to hearing all of those stories. You probably know pieces of those stories inside and out. And I think, Hearing stories about people who have done great and amazing things is important. But as somebody who uh, has a background in history, I think it's also important that we hear about those people who aren't in our school history books. People who have lived lives out of the limelight, but who can teach us about the best of humanity. And so today, I want to introduce you to a family that is actually a part of our legacy here at Central. Reverend James and Melinda Suggs and their, uh, their daughters, uh, some of their daughters that are pictured here in, uh, up above are Sadie, Katie, Lucinda, Sarah, and Eliza, were once part of Orleans Seminary, which was a free Methodist school in Orleans, Nebraska. Now, even if you are from Nebraska, you may not have heard of Orleans. It is is not a very large city anymore. But they are, uh, this school in Orleans, Nebraska, actually preceded Central, okay? So it's connected to our story. And I'm gonna tell you part of their story today. And there are parts of their story that are not necessarily easy to hear because Reverend James and Melinda, his wife, Uh, were held as a part of the chattel slave system. Uh, They actually were in Mississippi. Uh, We'll talk more about Eliza, their daughter's history, uh, some of which uh, was a part of her parents' own slavery. But their story, their family story, speaks to a sure foundation in the midst of suffering that the God of the universe saw them and walked alongside them even after they had lost several children during their years in slavery and in the tumultuous time after the Civil War. At the core of the Suggs family's faith is this sure knowledge rooted in scripture that all the way back in Genesis when God created humanity, male and female, in his image, he called them good. That humans are not animals. Humans are different. That failing to see and to treat fellow humans who are made in God's image as less than human is to sin against God. You see, the Suggs family took seriously Deuteronomy chapter 6, where we are told that the way to respond to being made in God's image is to love God. In fact, it says that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. And this story, their lives, are a testimony to people who sought to love God wholly. But Just like the rest of the Old Testament shows us, and then Jesus later in the New Testament, we practice loving God by loving others. Jesus, in fact, tells us explicitly in the New Testament to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second, and the second commandment is, is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no, no commandment greater than these. We cannot say we love God without showing that we love our neighbor. And that means seeing our neighbor as a fellow human being made in God's image. And who is our neighbor? That was a question in the New Testament. Who is our neighbor? Well, the answer is everyone. Everyone is our neighbor. We don't get to choose who we love if we follow Jesus. So we're about to see many ways in which the Suggs family uh, has given us, has left us a legacy to learn from. But those of you who have had me in class know that I have to give you a little context, right? We have to have a little context for our story. So before I talk about specifically about the Suggs family, I want to give you a little bit of background uh, to their story uh, that takes place both before and after the American Civil War. Because Some of it you may not remember from your history class, or maybe some of it wasn't included in your history books. Well, at the center of the conflict over the Civil War was something called chattel slavery. Okay, And in, uh, in that definition, an enslaved person is legally rendered the personal property of the slave owner, and any children that they have are considered the personal property of the slave owner. So that meant that any children born to an enslaved person was legally owned by the enslaver. So James and Melinda, who uh, met and married before the end of the Civil War, and several of their older children uh, were owned uh, by their master. At the core of chattel slavery in America was this belief that uh, we see in the language and behavior of slave owners and anyone else who was upholding that system, the African Americans were not human. The most often description used in books and media trying to prop up this sinful system uh, referenced African Americans as animals as mentally subpar. At its core was a belief that they were not human. Now, The other background that we need to know is that um, there there were white Americans who were both Northerners and Southerners who were Christians and supported this system of slavery with Scripture. They believed that African American men and women were less than human because of the color of their skin. Now Free Methodism the denomination that we here at Central are associated with we were founded in the year 1860 at the start of the Civil War and we were known as an abolitionist denomination which meant that we were radically opposed to slavery because that we because we believed that the uh, that the African Americans enslaved were people Made in the image of God, who needed to be not just freed from the bonds of slavery, but should be made full citizens of America, as they were fully human and fully American. So that's some of the background, right, uh, of this story. So let's let's begin telling our story now that we have now that we have some common language for it. Now, much of what I am retelling you. Uh, in this story is taken from a book that was written by James and Melinda's daughter, Eliza. Uh, It was a book called Shadow and Sunshine, published in 1906, a couple of years before her death. And this book is uh, a rare glimpse of a family uh, who had been formerly enslaved in their own words. So Eliza wrote this book. So I want you to meet Reverend James Suggs. James, as I said, was born into chattel slavery in the year 1831 in the South. He was given the name uh, James by his parents, but the practice in this system was that the people, uh, the person was given also the name, the last name of their owner, and so their last name could change if they were sold. So James was called James Martin, as that was the name of his first owner. And later separated from his parents, he was sold to a uh, Mr. Suggs and taken to Mississippi. And that's why we know him today as James Suggs. It is the name of the person, the last person who owned him. And I want you to see at the core of James' story is also a family that had been ripped apart by this system. Now, James had been trained to be a blacksmith, and within this terrible system of slavery, that made him quote, valuable to the white slave owners. And within this system, right, um, James and and other slaves were not allowed to have an education. But Eliza tells us this story uh, about her father. She says, father had to, quote, pick up what education he got, much as a rabbit might be supposed to pick up some tender morsel with the greyhound hot in pursuit when the master's children came from school, they would make letters and say, Jim, you can't make that. And he would make it and find out what it was. And again, he would say to them, you can't spell horse or dog or some other word that he wanted to know. And they would reply, well, yes, I can. And they would spell it. And all this time he was learning. Well, they had no idea that he was storing these things up in his mind. Yes, he had to steal What learning he got. Well, uh, after that time, uh, in the years leading up to the Civil War, James married uh, Melinda Philbrick, who was also enslaved by Mr. Suggs. And it was during this time that James uh, tells the story that he had become a Christian, and Eliza and her mother retell the fact that many around him, even at that time, uh, thought that he would likely be a preacher one day, that he... um, that he uh, became a Christian and then also was wanting to share that message with those around him. And Eliza writes later, Father loved freedom, or at least he thought he should enjoy it because he had never been a free man and hardly knew how it would seem to be free. But it is natural to every man of whatever race or color to want to be free. He used often to say to his young wife, when the car of freedom comes along, I am going to get on board meaning that if he got a chance, he was going to the war. And so James did go to war. He did get that chance. He fought and served for the Union Army even after being uh, wounded. He was eventually reunited with his wife and children, and they moved to Illinois after the war to start life as free people. And Eliza would later write of that period, Father now went to work with great zeal at his trade to earn money for the purpose of getting a home for his family. He was at last a free man with his dear family, a free family, and living in his own free country. You see, she writes, the slaves could not be married as white people were, for there was a clause in the marriage ceremony which gave the slaveholder the right to separate husband and wife whenever he chose to do so. And I've heard my mother say that she had known, has known instances where husband and wife have been separated after having been married only a few weeks or even a few days. And my father said that seeing he was now a free man, he wanted to be married like other free people. So on the fifth day of June in 1866, father and mother were married again, according to the Christian rites or according to the white man's law. Some years later, uh, James became a preacher within the Free Methodist Church and was sent as a missionary to Nicodemus, Kansas. Nicodemus, which you can still visit today, uh, was an all-black town settled by formerly enslaved people after the Civil War. Uh, In those years, the South had become increasingly unsafe as lynchings and other random murders of African Americans went um, unpunished. Eliza tells us that in the year 1879, father went to Kansas as an evangelist. So what you see here is actually Uh, the official document from the Free Methodist Church that sent him to Nicodemus uh, as as an ordained clergy and as a missionary. She writes, though, that this was a year of great drought and grasshopper scourge. Uh, She says there was a colony of colored people who had come from the south and settled in Graham County, Kansas, naming their little settlement Nicodemus. And Father went to preach to these people. He found them in a suffering condition, nearly starving, with scarcely enough clothing to cover their nakedness. Father revisited Honorable John uh, St. John, at that time governor of Kansas, to see what could be done for these people. And the governor sent him back to Illinois to solicit aid for them, for he said, after you have provided for their temporal needs, then they can hear your gospel. So Father solicited accordingly in Illinois and sent back barrel after barrel of clothing to the people. She then goes on to say that he afterward took up a homestead in Phillips County, Kansas, and in the year 1855, brought his family to Kansas. And he was now almost constantly in the work of the Lord. And he often said, I would sooner wear out than rust out. And surely God granted him the desire of his heart. Well, after serving in Nicodemus, he and his family made the move to Orleans, Nebraska. Well, why? Well, in part, as I said, there was, this was a free Methodist school for both at the high school level and beyond. And James wanted to move in order to provide his girls the opportunity to go to school. And so the Suggs children became a part of life in Orleans. And one of the most famous students of Orleans Seminary was Eliza. Now, this small town in Nebraska, populated with a church school of people who were abolitionist Christians, who believed that every person was made in the image of God, helped to make her education possible. Eliza writes of this period, um, we settled close to the seminary to be handy to school and church, but still no one thought it possible for me to attend school because of her health issues. Until in 1889, when my dear friend, Emma Hillman, now Mrs. Emma Haviland, was principal of the seminary, and God put it into her heart to give me a chance to go to school. So she came to see my mother and offered me free tuition and urged mother to send me. And so every day I was wheeled to school in my invalid chair and carried up to the classroom. Eliza would go on to become a popular preacher and speaker at church meetings and temperance meetings. And as I said, the quotes uh, that I have read from today come from her book, Shadows and Sunshine, which you can see here. But the thing about Eliza is she didn't have to choose this life. Now, that may be, seem like a strange thing to say of a young woman who was literally forced uh, to rely upon others to move her. She had no ability to walk or move on her own. Um, during this time in American history, one of the few uh, methods of earning money for people with disabilities like Eliza, which we believe now was probably something like um, osteo, osteo uh, uh, imperfecta, uh, was to be a part of a circus or a museum. And in that way, so if you have seen The Greatest Showman, okay, that was a way for people who uh, could not make, make their uh, living in uh, society uh, to uh, find a way to earn money. And Eliza, though, tells us in her own words why she turned down that life of uh, the circus or these museums, which would have afforded her far more material comfort. There have been persons who would say to my mother, Eliza writes, why don't you take her to the show or museum? There wouldn't be any harm, and you could make your living easily. Others would say there is a fortune in that girl. Quite recently... A gentleman said to my niece as he saw me for the first time, there is ready money. But dear reader, God did not create me for this purpose. He created me for his glory. And if I can be a help to anyone, and if God can get glory to his name out of my life, amen. To this end, I shall live. It has never been a temptation to me to want to go to a show or to be in a museum for money-making purposes. I once went to a museum, she writes, in Chicago just to see and learn. And I was asked by one there why I did not speak to the manager and get a place in the museum and make lots of money. Oh no, she writes, such places are not for me. God wants me to live for him and I could not do it there. Now Eliza was lucky enough to have an alternative to making money in a museum or going into the circus. And uh, it was as a part of that Orleans seminary community, it was as a part of a system that allowed her to go out and to preach and to hold meetings within the Free Methodist Church that allowed her to provide for her family in ways that uh, otherwise she would have been forced uh, to be made to feel a freak Um, if she were to have gone into the circus. The Suggs family, uh, whose story I have in part told you today, represents, I think, the best of who, uh, who we are or who we could be in this Orleans Central Christian College of Kansas tradition. Their central belief that they were fully, Human beings made in the image of God who knew God and shared his love with others is a model for all of us. Now, if you take the chance to read Eliza's story, which you can actually find on the internet, her book has been digitized, they did not in any way shirk from sharing the pain of their story or downplay in any way the pain that others had caused them by treating them as less than human but they shared how God walked alongside them through those experiences. So I hold them up today as people whose words can still teach us today and help us to fully model God's love. And I will say we have not always done this well as an institution. We have not always done this well. We have not always been models of people who have fully recognized the humanity of others. Stories of our failings can be found in our past, and they can be found in our present. But I also believe that an institution, which is made up of each of us as individuals working together, that we can forge a new path, that with a legacy like Reverend Suggs, like Eliza Suggs and the rest of the Suggs family, that we have the opportunity to build on that and move forward together on a new path. So it's um, why I'm thankful to be able to share a part of this story that I think many of us uh, don't necessarily know and don't recognize as it that is at the heart of our story, so I just pray that we can use this as an opportunity to recognize uh, where we have where we have fallen, where we have uh, failed in this in the past and in the present, and that we can find a way to move forward. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you for a legacy, a legacy of people like the Suggs who have known you, who walked with you, and who offered us, offer us a way to move forward, Recognizing, recognizing our past, recognizing our present, and recognizing what needs to change. We ask, Lord, that you would give us clear, a clear vision of where we are and where we need to change. And we pray all of these things in your name. Amen. All right, you are dismissed.